They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. These are the holy words of our Lord. May they produce a unifying faith in all who hear them. Today, Kim and I became official members of First Congregational Church. And I thought it would be fitting for us to take a break from Daniel for one week. That's one week. And then we'll talk a little bit about church membership, what it means, and why it is so, so important. Therefore, I've chosen to preach from Acts chapter 2. The author, Luke, he gives us a glimpse of the practice of the church at its inception. It's a peek into how the body of Christ should function. Now, I'm not suggesting that these early Christians were perfect and had it all together. I don't think there has yet been a point in history where we can say that the church was pure. Yet in this text, Luke demonstrates to the reader what constitutes the body of Christ. There are certain elements that a group of believers must have to be called a church. And there is a certain way of life that these members should try to uphold. Though these early Christians weren't perfect, they did devote themselves to God, to one another, and to proclaiming the message of the gospel to the lost around them. In today's world, it's sad to see the hypocritical nature that we often take as Christians. All too often, we make compromises with the world, while at the same time, we hold the churches that we attend to the standard of perfection. If it doesn't meet our high criterion, then we shop around for a new one. Maybe the reason that these early Christians didn't hop, church hop, was because they only had one option in the city that they lived. But is it possible that they understood something that we don't grasp very well? Let's dig into the text and find out what that may be. First, the setup. Peter, he had just delivered his evangelistic sermon at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit had broken into the hearts and broke the wills of many of the people who heard these words. They were convicted of their sins, and they sought rescue. So they asked the apostles, what should they do? Let's see the response. Look at Acts 2, verse 38. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will call. 
With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. What began as 120 followers suddenly became more than 3,000 people. This is the context of our story today. How did the apostles respond with such an influx of people? And what did these newcomers do now, now that they were a part of the body of Christ? Let's break it down little by little so we can fully understand how the church was formed. Verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. In this first verse, we see a summary of the elements that are necessary for true Christian discipleship. In Matthew 28, Jesus gave his disciples this command. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now the apostles had already baptized the 3,000. So their focus shifted to the teaching aspect of Jesus' command. And from our verse in Acts, we see that there are four things that take primary importance. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. So what is Luke referring to when he says the apostles' teaching? Again, a quick reference is in the Great Commission that we just read. Jesus told his followers to teach these new disciples to obey everything that he had commanded them. These apostles, they were guardians of Jesus' instruction. The teachings of the apostles were the very words of Christ. At first, they had passed these things down orally, but soon, very soon, they were recorded for us in the Gospels. Yet in these Gospels, we often see Jesus quoting Old Testament scripture. So the Old Testament writings fell into the purview of Jesus' teaching as well. The apostles, they taught from the books of Moses, from the writings, and from the prophets. And we also believe that Jesus gave a certain level of authority to these apostles to guide the church as she was being established. So the epistles that we read in the New Testament are God-breathed and would also be included in the apostles' teaching. Bottom line these new believers were devoted to God's word. The same Bible that we read every Sunday. Second, they committed themselves to the fellowship. The Greek word used here is koinonia, which means to share in a common thing or in a common goal. In other words, they were unified. Too often, I think, 
that the full understanding of fellowship goes by the wayside when people are describing the essentials of what constitutes a church. It is more than just getting together on Sunday. I'll hit this topic once again when we get down to verses 44 and 45. But for now, I want to drive home one point. These early believers, they were united under a common confession. Namely, that Jesus is the Son of God who died for their sins and rose from the dead. This common confession was so important that it bonded them together as a family. Third, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. This is a reference to the Lord's Supper. And by extension of verse 41, we we could include baptism in here as well. Like I said, all of the 3,000 had already been baptized So Luke doesn't refer to it here. But a true church practices these two sacraments. Those who have entered into the faith get baptized. And as a continual remembrance of what Jesus did, communion was practiced regularly. These two practices are linked to fellowship as well. Fellowship to God and fellowship to God. To one another. In baptism, we see entrance into the kingdom of God. The old self dies, the new is born from above. It is reflective of Christ's death and resurrection. It is a welcoming into a new family. In the Lord's Supper, we see the continuation of that link between Jesus and one another. When we partake of the bread and wine, we are confessing as one body what Christ has done for us. Finally, they were devoted to prayer. The English Standard Version translates this as the prayers. The Greek uses both a definite article and the plural form of the word. So I think the ESV gets it correct. At that time, the Jews, they had this liturgical style of prayer that they would memorize and recite. In the Gospels, we even see Jesus teaching a liturgical prayer to his apostles, the Lord's Prayer. This reciting of prayers is a practice that has been handed down throughout church history. Prayer is our way of communicating to God. We express to him our our felt needs and desires. We go to him with our joys and concerns, our wonders and our worries. And these prayers, they're, they're tied into the fellowship as well. As people would speak them in unison, they were communicating as one body to God. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, the prayers. These four practices should be normative in today's churches as well. The early church was devoted to these things. This wasn't a hobby of theirs. This was how they worshipped God. So let me ask you, what level of commitment do you 
have towards God? If someone looked at your life, would they describe you as being devoted to these four things? Verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. God's kingdom was breaking in, first through Jesus and now through his apostles, to whom he had given authority. The strongholds of this dark world were crumbling as the light of Christ was exposing and reversing the effects of the fall. For those who believed, they were filled with awe. For them, it strengthened their faith in God and demonstrated the authority that was given to the apostles. For those who hardened their hearts, suppressing the truth of God, they were without excuse. For Jesus and his apostles performed signs and wonders for all to see. Yet despite these things, many refused to believe. God still performs miracles today. Not as proof of new revelation, but out of his grace and compassion. Yet the greatest miracle he performs is when a rebellious heart, a heart opposed to God, repents and trusts in Jesus. If you are a Christian, then awe should be your response every Sunday. Whether you see a modern-day miracle or not, your heart should be left in wonder at the work of God in your own life. For you were once at odds with the Lord, enemies of the cross. Yet the message that Christ bled and died for your sins, it softened your heart, and you were given a heart of flesh. Are you filled with wonder at the work of Jesus at the cross? Verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Earlier, I talked to you about one aspect of fellowship. This idea that as Christians, we hold in common one belief, one doctrine. This unity under a common confession leads to stronger bonds and ties. Those who used to be neighbors are now brothers and sisters. As family, they were aware of each other's needs, and they took action. That's what family does. They take care of their own. Family does for family. Now, this wasn't communism, where the government owns all the things and distributes to the people as they have needs. No, this, these types of idealistic philosophies, they defeat the purposes of Christ. You see, giving wasn't compulsory. Nothing was forced. There was a generosity coming from the kindness of their hearts. And this wasn't just some fad of theirs either, but it continued on. Take a look with me at Acts 4, verse 32. 
Acts 4, verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. They were one in heart and mind. Again, we see that it is their common belief that produced this strong family atmosphere. Do you understand the basics of the Christian faith that unify us? And if you are truly unified under Christ, then do you sacrifice for your brothers and sisters in need? In our first scripture reading, God demonstrates to us that unity results in his blessing. Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessings, even life forevermore. Unity in Christ leads to the Lord's blessings. And these blessings come about when the family of God takes care of one another's needs. Let's continue on with our text, verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Here we see the two locations that these early believers met at the temple courts, and in their homes. Now they did not go to the temple courts to offer sacrifices, for sacrifice was no longer necessary since Christ had died for their sins. They went there namely for two reasons. First, they would observe the daily hours of prayer. They wanted to praise God and worship Him. But they also went to proclaim this good news to the people around them, just as Peter did on the day of Pentecost. You see, the temple was the center of community life. In order to spread this good news, they went to where the people were. And it says that they met in one another's homes as well. The church does not need a building to exist. Granted, they are nice to have, and they can be very, very useful. But a building does not make a church. When this church was founded, they had no building. They met in the home of one of its founders. It wasn't until seven years later that they dedicated this building that we are meeting in today. The church is made up of people, not lumber, not bricks. And we see that these earliest Christians, they met daily. 
This only strengthened the family bonds that they were already beginning to form. Sunday is great, and we should not diminish what takes place on the Lord's day. But a true family desires to spend time with one another. Do you have that desire? Are you connecting with one another on a daily basis? That is what true family does. They are devoted to one another. And we see that in their gatherings, they would praise God for their arrival of God's end-time salvation had come and it was cause for joyous celebration. This celebration is for you as well. For Christ has come and he has rescued you. He took upon himself your sins when he bled at the cross. He defeated your enemies, sin, death, and the devil. He rose from the dead three days later and now sits victorious at the right hand of the Father where he intercedes for you. His eternal kingdom has been established and it breaks through into this darkened world. Finally, we see that God was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. God alone builds his church. Only he can change a human heart, producing faith and true repentance. That being said, these early Christians were faithful to the commission that Christ gave to them. They were spreading this good news in the temple courts and in their homes. Yes, the Holy Spirit is the person who regenerates a dead heart, but he uses means when he does so. Just because God is the one who produces salvation doesn't mean that the church sits idly by, twiddling its thumbs. Jesus calls for you to be a witness of him. You are to testify to the death and resurrection of the Son of God. Are you willing to step out beyond our cultural barriers and witness to your friends and to your family Without a messenger to speak to them, they will suffer eternal damnation. If there is one thing that distinguishes this early church, these early believers in Christ, it is that particular word in verse 42, devoted. Their hearts were so focused on Jesus that it drove them to worship God and to fellowship with one another. Today, Kim and I became official members of First Congregational Church. Membership is just one simple way that we can proclaim our devotion to Christ and to his family. Membership means that we have put our lives into your care, and likewise, we will care for you. It means both privilege and responsibility. In a culture that doesn't take commitment very seriously, membership fights against this trend. It is a statement that we are devoted to God 
and devoted to you. Dear friends, are you devoted? Too often our answer falls short. Yet there is one whose devotion exceeds that of all the members of this church combined. Christ is the one who is devoted to his church. Jesus is devoted to you. So much so that he went to the cross for you. He sacrificed everything for you. The punishment that you deserved was placed upon his head. And he is the one who teaches you through his word. And he has sent his Holy Spirit to you in order that you might have fellowship with him. And he is with you when you partake of the bread and wine. And he is sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you when you pray. Brothers, sisters, Jesus is devoted to the apostles' teaching. Jesus is devoted to the fellowship. Jesus is devoted to the breaking of bread. And Jesus is devoted to prayer. He does all of this so that you can have peace with God and experience unity, not only with him, but with each other. Today, Christ calls you to be of one heart and of one mind. He calls you to be devoted, for it is his devotion that compels you. Let us pray. Father, we confess that our sinful hearts have distorted what it means to be a church. Yet you have given to us your Holy Spirit, who guides and directs us into all truth. And you have given to us your word, which corrects our misunderstandings and the desires of our flesh. And you have given to us your Son, who paid the penalty on the cross, even for the sins that we bring into your church body. Mend our errors. Attend to our hearts that we may be one with each other and one with you, just as you are one with your Son and with your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.